755 is real with David O'Brien and Eric O'Flaherty is on the air now. Hello, welcome back into the latest edition of 755 is real. Producer Cam here with you. David and Eric answering your Braves questions in real time on the Athletic app in a 755 is real live room. Excellent turnout. And as always, some fantastic questions. If you want to be notified when the live rooms are going to be hosted, make sure you follow David and Eric on Twitter at DOBrianATL and at UF34. Also make sure to follow the podcast if you aren't already on Apple, Spotify, wherever you get the show, and subscribe to us on YouTube where we host our video live streams. You can also listen to the podcast ad-free on The Athletic and The Athletic running a deal right now, $1 a month for six months for a subscription. All you have to do is go to theathletic.com slash 755 is real to take advantage of that excellent offer. In today's show, David and Eric answering a question about Marcelo Zina. Does he have to be on the Braves' playoff roster? And also, after the DUI arrest video was released, does that in any way, shape, or form affect his contract status? The guys dig into that. And also, the bullpen, a question posed about was there any bullpen mismanagement, whether it be in hindsight or not, by Brian Snicker and company in the St. Louis Cardinal series. The guys talk about, is it just a traditional Monday morning quarterback type of situation, or were there really some glaring issues with how A.J. Minter and company were deployed? In addition, on the topic of the bullpen, Kinley Jansen, some concerns around him potentially. The guys answer a question about Kinley Jansen's performance and whether there might need to be another solution at that spot. As always, your guys' support never goes unnoticed. It's always appreciated. And here's David and Eric with today's podcast. Laura. Robert. Laura, what's up, Laura? Yeah, can you guys hear me? Yeah. Yeah, so the question I have is regarding the Marlins series um, at the end of the season and the implications that has in terms of the Mets not playing during that time. And so if we win all three games, do we gain a game on them? How does that work? It's a half game anytime the other team's not playing. So if their record was set and you played three, you could pick up a game and a half. But the Mets aren't done. They don't finish before the Braves. Everybody okay. plays up through the last day of the season. Everybody plays through the last day of the season. You might be looking at a schedule that wasn't updated with those three games added at the end because everybody had three games added at the end that were lost in that first week that got uh, postponed because of the lockout. And you might just be looking at a Mets schedule, the original schedule, which would which if you just looked at that, it would look like they were done three days before the Braves, but they're not. They're playing three games then too. Everybody finishes on the on the uh, October fifth, the Wednesday. Cool. Thanks for clearing the Mets that up. Finish with. Uh, in fact, the Mets play three games uh, at home against Washington, third, fourth, and fifth. After playing the Braves in uh, three games, the September thirtieth, the first, and the second in Atlanta. Yeah, it's going to come down to it too. The Braves sure hope so. Hey, what's going on, guys? How you doing? Can you hear me? Yep. Yeah, my question was, I've heard some conflicting stuff on this, but we can, we're, we're going to be able to just leave Ozuna off the playoff roster without having to uh, DFA him, right? Because to me, it looks like AA is going to want to see if he can get something out of him in the offseason. He's not going to have to be on that roster. Of course not. Correct? Okay. Yeah, they can, they can leave anybody off the roster they want to. Gotcha. All right, perfect. Yeah, Thank you, no guys. Problem. Yep, thank you. Javar. Hey, guys, I kind of got a, a bit of a random question. Um, later 
end of the year, next next month at the end of the season, we have our last trip to D.C. Uh, have we heard anything about the Braves visiting the White House? Um, I know we had the whole big deal about them, uh, you know, get rid of the All-Star game last year. But, you know, it would just be a shame if our boys aren't honored at the White House. That's all I got. I've never heard anything about it. No, I, you know, they've been there, what, twice already? And um, did not make the trip. I don't know if it was – I'd have to go back and look, but I don't know if that was a particularly busy time for the president or if there was a COVID outbreak then or I don't know anything uh, other than they did not go. So, And I have not heard about them going when they do. But you know what? If they were going to go, they wouldn't announce it ahead of time probably because the Braves – the Braves, as you know, have fans from both uh, – from. Uh, both sides of the political spectrum. Let's put it that way. And uh, they would just as soon be apolitical and not have anybody offended by any decision they make. <laughs> and I'm not saying that's right. I'm just saying that's the way they are. Yeah, I think that's typically something you'd do, um, you know, one of those first couple trips if you were going to do it. Yeah, I mean, normally you make it on, normally you do it on your first trip into the, in the city. But these are strange times, as we all know. Thanks, Javar. Very, very strange times. Robert G. How's it going, guys? Hey, what's up? I'm not sure if you guys had a chance to look at it, but I saw the uh, full Marcel like 40-minute video of his arrest, and I've seen a bunch of like former prosecutors and police officers. I've looked at all of it. Yep. Yeah, it's, it's, it's entertaining. Yeah, it's it's pretty interesting. Like, I'm not a DUI expert, but it looks pretty strong that he wasn't impaired. Just my opinion and their opinion as well. How much do you think like this arrest, you know, guilty or non-guilty actually hinges on them releasing him? Could you see them just dumping it just because he's been so awful? Or do you think it really like I don't think it, I don't think it's going to have much effect at all. Uh, the only thing that it could possibly do is if he was convicted, maybe they have attorneys that would that would contend that uh, a DUI alone. They couldn't do anything with this contract for that. They couldn't do anything with this contract for domestic violence. Right. Please. So. But I'm sure their attorneys would probably try to recoup some of that money if he was convicted of a second time, you know, in a span of 15 months or whatever. I'm just guessing. But a DUI on its own, I mean, just because the, the the players union, uh, the deal with the players union, it, it doesn't allow anything like that to affect a guy's contract. As long as a guy, the only thing that can affect his contract is if he's unavailable to play. In other words, if he's thrown behind bars and can't play. And that's it. Uh, other than that, basically, you can uh, players uh, are going to get paid. Um, so, regarding you know, I'm not going to. I'm like you. I'm not an expert on this, but uh, I would not at all uh, assume that you can tell whether he is impaired by or not by just watching the video. Because, as you might know, Georgia's drinking and driving laws are maybe the most complicated ones in the entire country. Yep. There's a drunk, there's a, there's a DUI and there's a DUI per se and a DUI. There's two different kinds of DUIs. There's a DUI, full-fledged DUI where you're, you blow a 0.8 or whatever, or you refuse to blow and they hold that as, ev- as evidence, you know, and then they go to court, but they uh, go to a trial. But there's a DUI, I think it's a per se, if I'm not mistaken, that's the lesser one. And you can be convicted even if you don't blow a 0.8. Just because they smell booze on your breath and the cop determines that you were impaired and you were driving. It's called, I know what it is. It's called DUI unsafe. 
and a DUI per se is the real is the full fledged one. If I if and that's the way I, I read the interpretation of when I looked it up. But there's two different kinds of DUIs, and you don't have to be a point eight to be convicted in this state. I mean, if if the if the cop smells booze on your breath, which he obviously did when he went to the window and he put the, the thing out, you know, whatever. I, I'm assuming he smelled booze. You know, as you know, it doesn't take much to smell booze on somebody's breath if right. they've been drinking. I mean, he could he could drink one beer, and if you're driving at a high rate of speed, the cop estimated 90 miles an hour in a 35 and going across the center lane. Um, that's going to be pretty hard to beat. But then again. You and I don't have the attorneys that he can afford, so yeah. It seems like whenever he, it seems like whenever he said I had multiple drinks, the stop went entirely different. Like you automatically have a pre, you know, a pre notion, right. you know. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And then when he didn't blow, I know at you know uh, celebrities or people who can afford expensive attorneys are always told do not blow, but that can work against you in the state of Georgia with its laws and some other states as well because that can be held as. Uh, at that, just your refusal to take the breathalyzer test can be held against you in court. In yeah, they can state. hold your license for a year or two from what I've exactly. I'm, I'm in yep. Virginia, so that's the same situation. So Yeah, that's true. So I don't, but in answer to your question, I don't know. Ultimately, it's not going to, they're going to, if they release him, it's going to be because he's not very good. As, yeah. as Eric and I have talked about at, at, at length, like it or not, if Marcelo Zuna was hitting 300 with 30 home runs right now, most of the fans would gladly cheer for him still. I'm sorry. That's just the way it is. They, they might hold their nose while they do it, but they would want him on this team. But the fact that he's really bad or has been really bad this year makes the two offenses like most people just want him gone. Yeah. You know, the only thing that, could happen as if this thing where he wasn't to get convicted of it or he gets off, it can up his value when you're trying to unload him. But like Dave said, nothing ups your value when you're trying to unload a guy like actually performing. So I don't, I don't see it making a drastic dis, uh, difference in how he's treated or, or what happens going forward, um, regardless of how it turns out. Yeah. I, I, mean, I can't, I just think they'll get rid of him somehow this off season. Um, and their only hope is that he plays well uh, or does something between now yeah. and the end of the year, you know, and I don't know how much with him not playing at all. That's going to be difficult to do. I think he's played one time literally in the last 15 or 16 games one day. Yeah. Could you see the, them sending him to like one of those like alternate leagues or something over the winter to try to prop it up or something? Maybe that's a long shot, but well, it's yep, a they long can't shot. make him go. He could just say, I'm not going to one play winter ball. Yeah, and he he might want to play or, or try to up his value, but yeah, he it's might. A, just a it's a tough situation because you know it's going to be tough to unload him without the problems that he's had when you have a couple years left on a deal and you're struggling that bad. And it's and a backloaded you, deal. Yep, and it's backloaded, and then you add in the things that have happened, and most teams are just going to look in other directions. Yeah, there's only a few t- there's only a few teams I can think of that will gladly take a guy who's a below average hitter right now and who has a domestic violence thing on his record. There, there are some teams that will look past it because their fan bases will look past it, but they're yeah. the vast majority of them. You know, the whole, the whole uh, appeal is to a family audience and all that. So that's a tough sell to take on a guy who really hasn't performed for two years. I mean, he's hit like two thirteen 
with a six hundred low six hundreds OPS for two years now. Yeah. So, Thanks, Robert. But yeah, he played the entire winter ball season last year, but that was when he was trying because he had missed most of the season, you know, the right. suspension. Now, he does like playing winter ball in his native Dominican Republic, but uh, I don't know if he would do it, you know, if the Braves asked him to in order to get his value up. Who knows? It's more likely if you get if you get released and clear waivers and yeah, and he wants whatever, to get another and you're contract. Just trying to get a job, and somebody only has to pay you the league minimum. You can go out and show what you can do, but it's a it's an ugly situation no matter how you look at it. Yeah, there's no doubt. I mean, it's right now it's a waste of a roster spot because he is not playing at all. Yeah. What's up, Jeremy? What's up, Jeremy? Hey, what's up, guys? Nothing. What's going on, man? Thank you guys for doing this. It's always always enjoyable to interact with you guys. Um, is it fair uh, for both of you? Um, you know, this weekend series. Um, some bullpen bullpen management questions for Snit. Without like getting into deep theory, uh, you guys have. What were you guys' thoughts on like? his usage in the first game and how it might have affected the second, third, and, and if you think it had any impact on the series at all. I think, I think really, seriously, anytime, a, a, anytime that a team loses a couple of games, anytime, they can, you can almost always nitpick a bullpen, bullpen decision. Yeah. Almost always. Because yep. it's the easiest thing that a manager does to question it's the it's by far the easiest thing and if those moves work then nobody comes out and says like if they if they win the next two games nobody questions using mentor in that first game because then it's snip making sure they nail that thing down and win it but when it blows up in your face and he gives up two home runs then it's like no he should not have pitched mentor in that first game so I just never I, – I always have seen this, and Eric has seen this as a reliever. He's heard this forever. I just think most of the time that's the easiest Monday morning quarterbacking that there is in baseball, this, this nitpicking bullpen decisions. And right now, let's be honest, there aren't a whole lot of guys in the bullpen that are pitching great right now. And his his choices to make were not real good in those – People act like he had like four or five guys that he could have gone to in those situations. And I mean, other than like last night, I would longer. But I also don't, you know, McHugh had pitched some in the previous three three days and, and a couple times. And and maybe McHugh showed some signs. I mean, he'll take the ball any time, but maybe Maybe uh, Snit knew something about him I didn't know. But I that's the only one I saw is I would have left him in longer to come back out and get some more outs because he's shown time and time again he can go over an inning and give you two or even two plus ends if you need it from him. Uh, but Mentor, I don't know that I have a real problem with using Mentor three in a row. Um, you know, in hindsight, you you wouldn't have used him in game one. But you also didn't know how the next two were going to go. And that you'd be using him in game three in that situation and that he'd be pushing the envelope. I mean, Mentor has gone three in a row in the past, but uh, he just didn't have it last night. He left that first pitch. It had plenty of velo, but it was right over the middle. It was 96-8, I think, fastball, right, right, just a cookie. He was trying to get ahead in the count, but he just left it right over the middle of the plate. 
And uh, the other was not a bad pitch. The three-run homer was actually not a bad pitch. I'm, I'm looking at it now, Dave, and he'd had – he'd only pitched once in about, you know, out of five days, six days. A lot of relievers uh, – no, mentor. Yeah. Um, a lot of relievers don't like having four days off, five days off, and then pitching a big inning. You know, I mean, it, when I was pitching, I would have preferred – to pitch that first game so I could be sharp for the next two. And, you know, yeah. sometimes that's sometimes you get tired or you blame the bullpen usage or sometimes you just had a shitty game. You know, it's it's really easy to analyze everything after the fact. But I know when I was pitching, once I had two or three days off, I wanted to get in there. I didn't want it to go any longer. And, uh-huh. you know, he pitched he pitched fine the second day, but third day caught up with him and. It wasn't like his velo was down or anything, and we've talked about it before. Sometimes your velo's fine when you're tired and your life's on it, but every once in a while, man, you just got to tip your hat to the opponents. You know, they hit some, yeah. they hit his pitches, and you can look at the location, but you can watch him when he's good and he throws balls right down the middle too, and the yeah. life on him. You know, he gets a ground ball to shortstop. Um, it's just, it's really easy to nitpick these things, but we're not having this conversation if they get it done. You know, nobody's looking back at some spurt and early July where everything worked out and or went five out of seven or something like that. Um, it's just after the fact, every single time it, it kind of falls on the manager and that's just something Snit has to be okay with. Cause no matter what movie makes, um, he's going to get criticized when the team doesn't win. And if Minner had had four days off or five days off, you know, then he's kicking himself over, not getting him in there for one and him having a rusty game. So it's, everybody says it's the hardest thing for uh, manager to do is to manage the bullpen and I, I agree with that 100 percent yeah I mean it was it, I'm looking at it unless I'm mistaken it was the first time that he's gone three times in three days he's yeah. gone three and four a lot this year but not three straight days so and now maybe he's seen what happens on the third day and maybe Snit avoids using him in three but I Maybe you also want to try him, you know, and see. Well, he's going to have to do it in the playoffs. You know, you have to see how you feel doing that. Right. I mean, the first time you want to do it is not in the postseason, right? No. No. I mean, you don't want to just, you know, let's just go three in a row all the time because then you're burnt out in the postseason, but you got to start mixing it in. Right. And and the other thing is this bullpen is not as deep as we thought it was going to be right now. I mean, it's not six deep like it would be if Tyler Matzik was at top of his game. He's not. Um if if you had, I mean, Kenley it was obviously not going to be available after throwing so many pitches the night before. So I'm sure you were going to use Iglesias to close last night. And you're just not as deep with the other guys. Dylan Lee's not pitching. He, he had a good game, uh, I think, last night. He had a good one. But he's had some bad ones recently. Jackson Stevens, that's a big blow. He wasn't pitching nearly as well as he had early when he was the horse. He was one of the three main guys early on. Yep. Um, but he's been struggling and now obviously he has a concussion, so he's on the IL. But my point is that you, you've you had some guys uh, that really carried the, a heavy load early on that right now are not really big factors in high leverage situations. So you're you're kind of limited in the guys you can go to in those high leverage situations. So, like I said, other than using McHugh, I would have brought him. I would have left him in longer last night. But like you pointed out, I. You're going to want to use mentor like you did last year in the postseason. You use those main guys in every win. So you're going to want to need it. You're going to need him in three straight games a couple of times, especially with that uh, with that second travel day eliminated from the seven game series. Five yeah. game series. It's, it, you know, they're, 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 
there, there's going to be a lot more games played without a day between them. Like the last year, you had more days off than you're going to have this year in the postseason. So you're going to need your, your horses to be able to carry the load. Yeah, they're going to have to they're going to have to be able to handle those two three in a rows um, and four out of fives. It's, and Mentor had thrown. And Mentor had only thrown, by the way, ten pitches the night before in that inning. I know it's getting up, getting down, and all that warming up and everything. But he threw ten pitches for what that's right. worth. That's worth a lot. It's better than throwing thirty. Which if you right. threw thirty, you're not pitching like like Kenley the night before. Yep. Eric, let's hear from today's sponsors. All right, Gordon W. Gordo, let's go. Sorry, guys. I, I muted myself. Hey, Eric. Um, my son was a pitcher in high school, and I was always afraid of those comebackers. And when I saw Jackson Stevens, man, it just it's scary. I it just scares me. And I wonder if you ever had anything like that. And uh, you know, what do you guys think it's going to take uh, before somebody comes up with something uh, that that can protect maybe a, built into the hat or, or something? Uh, like that. Well, they tried the helmets. Um, or well, the they looked goofy. I know. Yeah, and I don't think any <laughs> pitcher had any confidence, you know, in himself throwing with those things on. Colin um, uses I, one. Colin uses that little piece that they have, the Kevlar piece. He's like does he does. Okay. Yeah, but uh, he showed it to me the next day, and that thing is hard as rock. It's what you use for a lot of motorcycle protection uh, pads and stuff mm-hmm. on motorcycle gear. I mean, it's a great device, and it's some. It's not like the other one looked like a bubble on the head, and the only guy to use it was that Mets pitcher. This thing, you can't even tell it's in Collins' hat, but it also doesn't wrap around. So, but it, the the crucial thing is it protects that softer side of the skull right behind the front. There's a soft. If you push your skull, there's a soft part on the side a little bit, and this thing protects that. So it kind of goes like when you buy a new hat. And it's got that piece of cardboard in the front. Just slips right in there. It, yeah, that thing that holds the crown up. That you know what I'm talking about? That little piece of yeah. cardboard. This is a piece of Kevlar that fits in there just like that piece of cardboard does. And you can't even tell it's in Collins' hat. So I'm surprised more more pitchers like I'm surprised all pitchers don't use it. He showed it to me. It slips right out. And you put it right in the sweatband. Um, he said he didn't know if it would have protected him though where Jackson Stevens got hit because that wasn't. Uh, fortunately for Jackson Stevens, that wasn't on the front. Uh, it wasn't flush. It was kind of to the side a little bit. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's scary. There's, I took one off, off the butt in high school that bounced all the way back over the dugout. Um, I took one at a tournament in Texas. I took a few in pro ball off the shins and legs. Uh, I mean, it's, it's incredible how fast you can react when it's actually going to hit you in the face most of the time. Uh, but there was a few, Adam Dunn hit one off me and it was like the ball was in the outfield and then I heard it, uh, you know, it's like in the amount of air it's displacing and how fast it's going. It, it sounds, I've always said the ball sounded like it was the size of a beach ball when it went by because it it was just going so fast. Uh, but yeah, I don't know. I mean, I don't know what they could do to, to protect it minus some kind of head protection like you're talking about with Colin. Uh, but other than that, it's kind of just, Anytime I threw a fastball down the way to a pull hitter, I just got my hands up. Yeah, I mean, there's not going to be anything to protect the face. I mean, the orbital no. bone, the cheek, and all that. I mean, you just got to hope you can get your glove up, like a lot of lot, like we've seen a lot of guys do. You know, in time to, like you said, it's amazing how quick they can react sometimes. But some guys are not in a defensive position at all. Some pitchers, when they finish, when they're when they're follow through, 
those are the guys I think are really, someone's going to get killed. You know, the ones that are kind of falling off the mound. Yeah. Yeah. Turning. And it, for yeah, me, I would balance. throw a fastball down the way to a righty. And as it left my hand, I knew it was in a spot. If he's trying to pull, it might come up the middle and my hands would start creeping up. So sometimes you'd throw a called strike and you got your hands in front of your face. Like it's about to get torched. And uh-huh. It's, it's just, it's just instinct at that point. Cause you've thrown enough and seen where those pitches go against certain hitters. But yeah, there's other guys that, especially if you're overconfident, you know, or you're throwing 100 miles an hour and not expecting anybody to hit it. Yeah. The ones that drilled me, you know, I, I threw Sinso Chu a, a fastball in, and he stayed inside it and hit it up the middle, and it completely caught me off guard. I didn't have my hands anywhere. And I was just chilling because it's either with that pitch, it's normally either pulled or jam shot, and he barreled it somehow inside right up the middle, and it hit me right off my hip bone and bounced to Simmons, and he made the play, but – you know, it's it's kind of you, you got to think it's going to happen and be ready for it, or or you could get smoked. He, uh, Spencer Strider, one of the hundred mile an hour guys you're talking about, um, very athletic and quick, so he's he probably, he probably have a better chance. But we asked him, you know, because he, he was the starter that night that Stevens got hit, and he, so he was in the clubhouse when Jackson came in, uh, and Jackson was in good spirits, so he's kind of able to joke about it. But he said. Spencer said, uh, I mean, that's like the 0.1% of plays that really scares you in baseball. Yeah. I mean, you know, Snip was saying that's that's one of the most sickening things that you can see on a field. You know, when a guy gets hit, that sound when he hits their face. Yeah, I remember Soriano got hit in the head by Vlad Guerrero, and we could hear it out in the bullpen. Yeah. Remember when uh, Jojo Reyes got hit? I don't remember JoJo's. I might not have been there yet. No, who was the lefty? Uh, who was the lefty that became the video guy for the for the Braves? And is uh, oh man, he's he's still pitching in Mexico. We just saw him the other day at the ballpark. He's like forty two now. Um, Chuck? No, 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 Latin dude. Um, really good guy. I'm not sure. He got hit in uh, Houston, right in the forehead. We thought he was. Oh my god, we were scared to death. We thought he was out cold. And he got up, and and uh, he was he was fine. I mean, he didn't even get a concussion. He might have had one, but they didn't do the whole concussion protocol back then. Yeah, it's all about where it hits you. You know, there's some hard spots, and if it, if it's a grazing blow, or you're kind of able to angle yourself or get out of the way, it, you might even get an out out of it because it pops up so high. But yeah, it's a scary thing. I tell you, man, you have to see the the the, the uh, bruise on on Jackson Stevens' head. It's a bruise, but it's also a scrape, like you scraped your knee on a, on the street because the the ball hit him at that angle where it scraped the skin, skin off. off. Oh, yeah, man. really weird. So he's I'm got a he's bruise right. and a scrape, big, big, big spot. But the, but the big welt, the mouse uh, on his head went down pretty quick after the bit ice on it. Yeah, so I don't know what they could do to protect you. It's, it's, you know, it can't mess with guys' ability to perform. It's just like hitters. You know, some are comfortable with that face mask. Other ones, you know, they're out for two months and they come back in same helmet. Yeah, hey, I can't see a, a a a major league player or or a high level baseball player going to like the softball uh, face mask that softball pitchers wear. You know, I just can't see them doing that. They wouldn't even wear that helmet because it was so ugly that the Mets pitcher wore. Yep. Oh, Cam just texted me. It was Horacio Ramirez. Yes, I, I was going to just say, because I just, uh, I Googled it myself. It was Horacio Ramirez. Yep. 
Yeah, he was he was hit he was hit in the uh, in the head in Houston, man, in the forehead. Man, it scared me. It was Lance Berkman, of all people, who hits him hard. Yeah, line drives. But he was fine. It was crazy, man. That dude's got a hard head from Jackson <laughs> Stevens, but he was fine. Yeah. Horacio said afterwards, I got it right here, the story. He said, the only thing I remember was releasing the pitch. I don't recall the pitch or the ball hitting me. Oh, man. <laughs> How about that? Some, he probably did have a concussion, but they really didn't check that stuff back then. No, I mean, there were, there was a few that, that I got that I gave up and – there's a lot you can catch. I think if they're in the 90 mile an hour range, but once it gets up over a hundred, yeah, it's almost like the ball has passed you and then you kind of hear it and react, but you realize I couldn't have done anything on that one. And, you know, you just kind of lock in and try to make better pitches. It hit him in the left side of his forehead and flew into shallow right field. Yep. And he just yeah. fell on his back and rolled over. I mean, it, was, <laughs> it, it looked like he was going to die, man. We were like, Oh yeah. my God. And then he got up. <laughs> Crazy. Peter S. That was that. That was at a time when the Braves were really falling apart, and uh, Chipper at the end of that series in Houston was like, "The hits keep coming for the Atlanta Braves." <laughs> <laughs> How's it going, Peter? Hey, it's going well. Um, so sometimes, as a fan, it's hard to decipher when. The team is, is giving you boilerplate responses and um, when they might actually have a sense of urgency or not. And coming out of the weekend series, particularly in reading Penley's comments, you know, it kind of came off to me as like, well, this was a, this is a pretty big series. I would have liked to hear maybe um, a little more concern or sense of urgency and not, not even to single him out um, for that game. So you know, as a former player, Eric and David, someone who spends as much time around the team, like, you know, as fans, we're sitting here scoreboard watching every night. Like, what's your sense for how the team is treating this last month? Because everyone seems to obsess over those last three games with the Mets, but we got to play Philly six times with Bryce Harper coming back. Um, at Seattle's playing great. We got to go all the way out there. So, like, what's your sense? Um, for how the team is viewing this last sprint, because really every game's important, but it can be hard to read between the lines when we when we hear these post game comments. Well, let me uh, let me offer my opinion, then and then Eric can give a more relevant opinion, probably as a player. But from my from my view of this, and being in the clubhouse and overhearing conversations and talking to guys on and off the record, fans don't understand that players play 162 games. They can't get high and low and act like, oh, my God, we should have won these. We've got to come out of here and win. Early on, when they got off to a bad start, A.J. Minter had some comments like that. He said, I know it's early, but we can't wait much longer because the Mets, they were at, the Mets had built that 10-game run, that ten game lead. And the Braves were very conscious of that and said things to that effect. Like, it's early, but we can't let them get much farther ahead. we got to start playing better baseball. Well, they're playing better baseball right now. They're playing good baseball. They've got, still got the best record in the majors since June 1, if I'm not mistaken. So my point is you can't get so high and low on each game just because the fans are upset or because, uh, you know, because you're two games behind the Mets or three games behind the Mets. You really can't. The reason that the Braves were able to win last year is because they had that even keel. They never panicked. 
they they wait they made their run in uh, August and September. And I don't know if people are going to say, well, they can't count on doing that this year. I'm not saying they should. I'm just saying the reason that they've been so good under this manager is because they maintain that even kill. And Bobby preached it too. So you can't maintain an even kill. And at the same time, after you lose two games to the to the Cardinals, which you could have easily won, you can't get all upset and go, well, we blew it here. Now we got to come out and take care of this homestand. I mean, there's nothing uh, there's nothing to be gained for a player to treat it like a fan and get all upset because they got to come back and play the next day with a clear head and the same approach they had the day before. They're not going to play harder. They can't go out and play harder. You know, it's not football. You can't go out and try to hit someone harder because you're you know, you've you lost the game. Eric, go ahead. Yeah, I mean, emotions will destroy you in baseball. Um, you know, guys in, in pro baseball that can't handle failure or get too high and too low, they're not pros very long. Um, coming all the way up through the minor leagues, you, you just, you're constantly training yourself not to ride the roller coaster, to just be stable and steady every day because it is so many games. You know, if, you, if you're playing football and you lose on Sunday, you can have a two-day meltdown over it. You can sulk. You can not be yourself. And those next two days might be practice days or a travel day or a day off. But baseball, you got to come back ready to go tomorrow. So you almost train yourself to have as little emotion as possible. And it's, it's not that you don't care, but you have to downplay everything or it's going to eat you alive. So if you're, if you're a relief pitcher and you blow a game and you show up to the clubhouse hanging your head, sulking, you know, going through everything half-assed, that the phone's going to ring again for you today. Um, so it's more, it's, you're just getting, when you get those quotes, they're not just, they're not just BSing you. Um, they're kind of telling you how they're trained and how they have to think to be able to succeed with that many games in a row. And, you know, I can, I can attest that any time I, I took the game home with me and I came to the field or I woke up the next day, hanging my head, still thinking about the three spot I gave up last night. I mean, you take that right into the game with you again that night. And I had terrible seasons, almost every season you look at, you know, minus maybe, one or two years where I had physical ailments, but the seasons that you look at that I was really bad, it was my head. It wasn't, it wasn't anything physical. And that's kind of when you get those quotes, you're just getting a look into how these guys not want to think, you know, I mean, your emotions tell you, fuck, that was a terrible game. I blew it. Yeah. How they have to think right. to, to be able to succeed and, and keep coming back. Yeah. That, that's great perspective. And, and the mic'd up segment where Wainwright last night was, uh, warming up for the game provided a you know, pretty similar sentiment where he said, you you are what your emotions tell you you are. And yeah. if they don't go in with full confidence, then they're going to, they're going to play like hell. I, I, I guess the, the piece that like I would love to hear as a fan is like some perspective from Snit or otherwise, like how are you guys viewing the last month? You know, the Falcons used to talk about how they break the season into quarters and it kind of gave you some inside perspective on, how they were treating any block of games. And so I guess just, you know, it's, as like a passionate fan, you, you want to know as, as much as you can um, about what, what they're thinking, how they're viewing each series. But, but I get it. You know, a, a lot of it's um, for their own psyche that they need to stay in a stable place game, game over game. Snit said, Snit has said it. If he said it five times, he said it a thousand times. His mantra has always been, especially as a major league manager, do not worry about the future. Do not worry about the past. Worry about today's game. He said, because mm. we can't control the future. We can't do anything to change what happened yesterday. So worry about today's game. And it suited them quite well. I mean, 
And what Eric was talking about with emotions, I think the extreme end of that is the closer. He has absolutely got to be able to turn the page. So I yeah. thought Kim Kenley Jansen's comments, I thought were a reflection and a real peek into why he's been able to do this longer than almost anyone else yep. in baseball. Because most well, closers just think about all the heat that years. was on him in L.A. Yeah, you know when he—that's the toughest place ever, and he's able to just ignore that, flush it, and go out and pitch again. Mm-hmm. There's there's very few people on earth that can handle that pressure and, and continue to yep. answer all those questions and you know give the answers that a lot of people don't like. But I mean, if you if you get involved in it and you're reading the clippings and feeling the pressure that 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 everybody's putting on you, most guys self destruct. Right. I mean, I've got his quotes right here, and I, I had no problem. I thought I actually thought. Uh, it was pretty admirable that he was pretty honest about it. I mean, he said, the first thing he says, we come over to his locker. He's sitting there waiting for us. Uh, or he was going to go shower. And he goes, you guys need me? Oh, and he comes over to the locker and he says, he goes, yeah, man. I mean, it's a bad one. And you got to shake it off. It's been a while since I had one like this. Everything was flat. The ball was, wasn't cutting. The double I gave up, I tried to get in on him. It just stayed out middle. Uh, and I mean, he, he made no excuses for anything. But then he said, don't worry about it. Just tomorrow is another day. That's the beauty of this game, that I get to face the same hitters again tomorrow and get back to work and get back on track. So this one, it sucks. It always sucks. But you just got to let it go. I mean, I don't think that he anything other than that would be a problem to me if he if he wasn't able to turn the page. Because then you're like, okay, he's not going to be worth shit tomorrow if he's going to wear this and sulk about it. And as far as Snit, I had uh, Walt Weiss tell me, why, why, I asked Walt what it's been like being – bench coach for for Snit the last few years and Walt said because Walt managed in Colorado and uh, was forced to resign or uh, you know had fallen out there and Walt said I've learned the thing I've learned from Snit and he goes and I don't know if I can still don't know if I can do it but I'd try if I was manager again is that when he leaves the ballpark he leaves that loss behind he doesn't yep. wear it he goes I wore it he goes it tore me up I hope I'd go home and I couldn't sleep Snit I'm sure when he goes home he, does, he puts it when he leaves the ballpark, he leaves that loss behind. And he said, and I think that's why he's been able to do this such a good job here is not is being. And the players take their cues from that because he's the same guy every day. Yeah. Yeah. It's the hardest thing to do. You know, I mean, it, it, it's it's hard to think that the guys don't care. And, you know, they do. But you have to let it go and you have to move on because it's, it's too many games. It's too much emotion. You know, it's like I was saying, if it's, if it was a 16 game season and you were playing once a week, you could afford a couple of days of emotion and, and handling it that way. But in baseball, you have to flush it, be done, get a good night's sleep and wake up the next day. You show up to the park, hanging your head. It's going to be another shitty day. Yeah. I mean, they could come out and, uh, you know, if it was basketball or baseball and they had a couple an off day, or two off days, or a week off, like five days, like football, you could go, you know, two a days, uh, Tuesday, we're going to come in and go over these plays in the morning before we work out or whatever, you know, you could add some work and all this shit, and every guy's could be so fired up, and you could have a great week of practice, like they talk about, you know, coming off a loss and all that. Well, Braves, I mean, with baseball, you can't have a, a week of practice, you can't have a day of practice, you got to play nope. the next day, so you got to like, be ready. You better not be thinking about last night's game, because it ain't going to help you tonight. That's a good question. Thanks, Peter. Yeah, thanks for the perspective. Yep. Thanks, man. Reggie W. What's up, Reggie? Hey, hey what's going on? I was just wondering, uh, Eric, I know I was listening to a uh, show talking about Kenley Jensen in the last 10 and I think two-third innings he's gave 
He's given up nine walks. Do you think that there is any reason to be concerned about that going forward and into the postseason, or that's just, you know, something not to kind of put too much stock in? I mean, he's been good minus the the blown save. So um, for me, it's you just go through spurts in the season where, you know, maybe your control's a little off and you have to battle different. or you're giving up a lot of hits and you have to adjust that way, but it's, it's a long season full of adjustments and you go through spurts like that. Um, however you get it done though, if you're getting it done, um, it's good with me. Yeah. This is not the Kenley Jansen, you know, of maybe his absolute peak of his career. I mean, he doesn't have many clean innings anymore, but you know what? He's learned how to adjust and pitch more. He doesn't overpower guys as much as he used to. Obviously his cutter's not 98 like he used to be. Um, but he's also a smarter pitcher than he was. And I think for the most part, he still gets it done at almost the same rate as far as saves. And ultimately I think that's how they're judged, right? As a closer. Um, yeah, you either get it done or you don't. Yeah. I mean, he's got, you know, he's got a three, five, nine ERA, a 1.091 whip. Um, career whip is op- uh, 0.938. So it's a little higher. It's not that much higher. The walks, yeah, they're they're problematic because they kind of go in spurts with him. But, I mean, for the year, he's still at 64 strikeouts and 17 walks. It's a hell of a lot better than he did last year. He had 86 strikeouts and 36 walks last year. So I think he's one of those pitchers that will go, you know, he he can get through this patch. He can get through this rough patch and and, and, uh, and still be at peak form for the postseason. But – Remains to be seen. Remains to be seen. Yeah, got you. I mean, it's just, you know, troublesome. Oh, well, because how he doesn't hold runners, and it's just like, okay, you're putting the yeah. runner on. And yeah. You know, yeah. you always talk about yeah. that's what uh, we lost, Reggie. Um, yeah, I mean, yeah. for me, it's as a reliever, you you just kind of got to cue in when you're getting lucky and and try to fix it before it come, becomes a problem. Uh, you know, I'd, I'd have a game where I'd come in and I'd felt, face some – middle of the order guys and they'd pop up to the warning track and I knew I threw three, four, five meatballs that inning and got away with it. And I try to adjust and, and figure out what I was doing wrong or, or different and almost analyze that game like a bad game. And I'm sure Kenley does the same thing and knows how to do it. You know, if he walks two and has a, finds his way out of that inning and gets it done, he doesn't just feel like, yeah, hey, I'm the closer. I nailed it again. He knows all right, that was ugly. I got away with it. I got to clean some things up. And sometimes those adjustments take a little bit of time, and that's when you see the spurts like this. No, going back, Eric, going back to what you said earlier about how some guys, you know, you get you felt better when you were pitching more, and you'd have yeah. three or four days off, and you wouldn't pitch well. I think Kenley's appearance uh, last uh, two days ago was a good example of that. He had not pitched since the twenty second, so he had three, four, uh, twenty three, four, five, six, four days rest. Yeah. And he looked the worst he's looked in a long time. And that's the longest rest he's had in a while. I mean, I thought he looked rusty. I think he's a guy that does need to pitch more than that. Because if you look at his appearances before that, he's talking about the walks. He walked two in that game, in that, in that, uh, uh, one third of an inning. He only got one out. But in his previous one, two, three, four, five, uh, previous four appearances, four innings, he had six strikeouts, no walks. He hadn't walked anybody, and he pitched on the uh, – he had one stretch there where he pitched August 12th, 13th, and 14th. He pitched three straight days, and he's, what, 34 years old. 
pitched an inning, a scoreless inning in each of those games, only gave up one hit in three innings. Yeah. So, I mean, I, I, you know, I think with some guys, it's kind of you got to kind of find where they are in their career, where they are this year, and how many, how can you pitch them three nights in a row, and are they going to be better? And in his case, he sure was a lot better when he was pitching a lot more than when he got those four days rest because he he looked rusty to me. He said everything was flat. Uh, just didn't, you know, his, his velo was still there, but he, everything was flat. His cutter wasn't cutting. He couldn't locate it. Yeah, and sometimes it's just a little bit of timing or a little bit of something that that's just not quite right that day. For me, I the the more days in a row I felt, the more confident, or the more days in a row I pitched, the more confident I got and the better I felt. It was always after they sat me down and I had a day to recover and kind of heal that I came out and felt shitty and tight or a little rusty. But I never wanted more than one or two days off as a reliever. Um, and that, you know, if you look at my good years, they were years I was throwing all the time. The problem yeah. is that when you suck, <laughs> yeah. you can't get them in there all the time. You know, right. it's, it's like, you kind of have to earn that right to be in there and right. be used and then, and then be productive. Uh, but you know, for him pitching three in a row for him for, is different for me than pitching minors three in a row because Kenley's pretty smooth with his delivery and yet yeah. he's using his body. But AJ's max effort, or as close to max effort as you're going to see um, from a guy that pitches like him. Yeah, so Kenley uses those there. legs, man. Kenley yeah. uses the leg. legs and yeah. leverage. Yeah, and in those three that he had uh, when he pitched, what, uh, 12th, 13th, and 14th, he actually had a lot of pitches, too. He had 22 yeah. pitches on the 12th, 21 on the 13th, and, thir- and uh, 16 pitches on the 14th those were the three games against uh three games at miami he got a save in all three of them yeah and you know i was lucky some of the years that i was pitching a ton i'd still have my back flare up and you know i'd get a eight to ten day stretch where i was rested and then you're only pitching one rusty game in that time period and then it's back to hammering out two out of three or or four out of six but i still got that rest period to kind of recover and so I felt like, you know, you looked at the, the totals at the end of the years and they were in the seventies and it looks, you know, yeah. it looks like I got, I got used a lot, but I also got those breaks that came right. the, the total number down while being able to throw lots of back to backs and, and three out of fours. Yeah. Yeah. And, 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 and he hadn't thrown a lot of pitches in the appearances leading up to this one too. In addition to having the four days rest, he'd only yeah. thrown what 13, 15 and 11 pitches in his previous three Thing. So I don't know if it was rust or not. I mean, like I said, he's not the pitcher that he was at peak form, but he's still pretty damn good closer. I mean, there's not there's only a handful of them that are uh, you, that you could argue are as good or better than him in the majors. And and the the best thing, the great thing is the Braves have one of them on the staff. So yeah. they that's that's the luxury they have that very few other teams are going to have in the in the postseason is if they need to to go to uh, Russell. Uh, Iglesias as the closer, they can do it. You know, if they need to have mentor close, they can do it. But that, but Iglesias has done it, you know, and been a closer and been a, a damn good closer. So they do have some depth that other teams would drool to have, you know, would love to have. And uh, it's just they don't have the kind of depth that they they had last season right now, at least, where they had where they went like six deep, you know, and had rest days in the postseason. So they're going to need – they're going to need Kenley to play a big role. And they could get that depth back if, you know, Matza gets hot or right. things start kind of clicking for a few other guys. It's still a really good pen. I tell you what, man, 
Odorizzi, that's a that could, that's a potentially huge development. He's had two really good starts in a row since he since he cleaned up his delivery, really simplified it and fixed the direction to the plate. I mean, he had a no hitter until five and two thirds last night, and uh, the one before that against Pittsburgh was really good. I know it was only a Pirates, but that's back to back good starts for him. If he was able to solidify that, uh, you know that that rotation spot, we've talked about you know potentially if they need to moving Strider to the pen. I know people hate to think about it because Strider's just so good as a starter, but if you had to do it, you could sure that would sure be a nice move, and you'd know what you can get from Strider in a bullpen role. It's not like there's any question about it. Yeah, you can't buy much more bullpen depth than that. You know, that's right. <laughs> right. two innings worth at the at the right time. You know, that's teams have, have, have ridden that to the World Series. And that's going to do it for today's show. Thank you all so much for listening. Again, if you'd like to be notified when we do host a live room, make sure you're following David and Eric on Twitter at DOBrianATL and at UF34. Also following us on Apple, Spotify, wherever you get the show, and as well as subscribed on YouTube, where we'll try to make a note of when we'll put together these live rooms. As always, thank you all so much. We really appreciate the time, and we'll talk to you next time. 755 is real. And out.